Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Um, good morning again. Um, I don't think I introduced myself earlier. I'm Taylor Leachman, uh, the pastor, planting pastor here at Advent. And um, pardon the uh, little typo in the bulletin. We are not uh, going or are Anglican. Um, uh, that We use different uh, liturgical forms from different traditions and uh, often try and uh, find and, and make those changes uh, denominationally appropriate. We, we don't have bishops in the Presbyterian Church, although we are gladly to pray for the bishops of other denominations as well. Um, but uh, anyways, just wanted to make sure y'all knew that was not like some hidden agenda uh, that like Taylor's taking us despite the collar um, into the Anglican Church or something along those lines. Um, we are continuing a sermon series uh, through um, the 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 book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. We're calling it the origin story to help uh, us to know how it is that God created the world and what that says about who we are. Um, And so we've actually um, already slowed down more than I'd originally planned. Um, We're spending a second week on the same passage. Uh, So last week we focused on what it meant that we were created in God's image. Um, so we, we, you know, we began with the creation of all things. Then we, became, we came to the creation of humankind, of mankind. We talked specifically about that we were made in God's image and what that meant, that, um, that we were endowed with dignity. And even though sin entered the world, we were not, um, uh, what's it called? We, it, it, that, that image was not lost. It was marred, right? It was diminished, and so this week, we're actually going to talk about um, probably a more controversial topic um, as we talk about what it means that we are created male and female. Um, and, uh, and so I want to do so um, with grace and with truth, um, knowing that I'm probably not going to touch on this as much as we want, unless y'all want to stay here until about 3 p.m., um, but, uh, but we're going to talk about what this means and how it impacts some of the questions that we have for us uh, today. So um, if you would, let's read uh, the word of God for us here, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. 
the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Father, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight as we look at your word together. Uh, We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'm going to begin by asking a very personal question, and I want you all to answer it. I'm just kidding. Uh, Yes, answer, but in your head, not out loud. Um, uh, But really try and be honest with yourself as you answer it um, within yourself. And that is, how do you feel about your body? Um, Are you pleased with it? Do you hate it? Perhaps the size of it, the shape? Um, Maybe the type of hair you have or don't have, right? Um, We live in a culture that doesn't know what to think about our bodies. It's pretty much assumed that all of us are dissatisfied with our bodies to some extent, but what we do with that dissatisfaction is, uh, is the problem, right? On one extreme, we worship our bodies, right? We worship the right form, um, constantly trying to get in shape or trying to stay in shape or to surgically enhance our shape um, or the way that we look or we look um, obsessively at pictures of art uh, or pictures on Instagram <clears throat> depicting kind of archetypal bodies. Uh, and often we forget the fact that most of those are, are doctored um, or uh, are altered in some way to the point that no human being actually looks like what we're seeing in those images, much less the models in themselves in the pictures. Right? As we worship our bodies, we obsess over them. That's one extreme that we go to with our dissatisfaction over our created selves, over our physical selves. Right? But the other extreme is that we can denigrate our bodies, right? sort of feeling that sense of discomfort and recognizing that dissatisfaction. We begin to dissociate from our bodies. Right? My body is just a prison of my true self. Right? It isn't even a part of my true self, right? Because my true self is my spirit within me. It's, it's my heart or my thought life. It's my mind. It's not that gross body out there. But when God created men, animals, and all the other creatures, he made us not as, what the, as the saying goes, not as embodied souls, but as created wholes. Right? W-H-O-L-E-S. Wholes. While it's true that God creates us with bodies, souls, and minds, and while it's true that the Bible even separates those into categories when the Lord says, you shall love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and strength, right? the Bible is not ranking the different parts of us. It's identifying each and every part of the whole, the totality of who we are. Because each and every part of us makes up the totality of who we are, right? You are not just a body. You are not just your mind or your soul or your inward self. You are a created whole, body, soul, and mind together, all created in the image of God. But in a fallen world and in a world of sin and struggle, we're not only at odds with God or with other people, but we are at odds with ourselves, right? Have you ever thought to yourself, or maybe even you've said this out loud to yourself, right? Like, oh, you're so stupid. Why do you always do that? 
talking to ourselves? Or do you just maybe attack yourself, thinking like, I'm not like the other people that I see around me? That's why all of us can say with honesty that we are not fully satisfied with our bodies. We're not fully satisfied with who we are. Because our thoughts and our spirit are not always kind with that to us either. Right? And so in our sin, we not only have a broken relationship with God, we not only have a broken relationship with the rest of creation, we have a broken relationship with ourselves. And so we struggle to even truly know ourselves at times. Because sin makes it challenging to see who we truly are. But we feel that discomfort. That discomfort with who we are. We wish that we were different. We wish that we looked different. We wish that we acted different. And other times we wish that, that everyone else was just different so that we wouldn't feel the dissatisfaction with who we are. And so today we're going to talk about a couple of challenging topics that arise from this passage. We're going to talk about how we are made male and female. Right? And there are two particular points Uh, that the scripture is teaching us about what it means that we are made male and female. And the scriptural affirmation that is good, right, that God created us male and female, this is something that humans have struggled with throughout kind of all time, right? Because some cultures have failed to see the dignity of women. And you could easily argue that that is true of what is going on in our current culture. Right? Some cultures have failed to see the created blessing that it is to image God and that women do so. And not only that, that we fail, they fail to recognize the way in which male and female together image God. And so I recognize that there are a lot of questions that people have about gender, particularly when I say and focus on the idea that God is creating us male and female. And not only that, with procreation in view, because that's a part of what this passage is articulating, I know that there are a lot of questions that people have about the ethics of contraception, about the ethics of even having children. And so for some, I will end up saying more than you want as we talk about this passage. And for others, I'm going to say nowhere near what uh, the amount that we need to say. Um, But we need to look at what the Bible is teaching us, both in its historical context and what it has for us today. Because we live in a world where we are at odds with God, where we are at odds with ourselves, um, we are at odds with the rest of the world. So we need to look at what it was supposed to be like so that we can better understand what God is redeeming us unto. And so I want to focus on those two aspects of our passage today. The reproduction part of this passage and the gender part of this passage. And then I want to conclude with a reminder of the good news for all of us. Because no matter what, we live in a fallen world uh, where reproduction, gender, sexuality, and living in God's image is broken. Um, It's broken within us and we struggle. And so we need to hear the good news that God has for us today. Um, So we're going to actually start with the reproduction uh, part of this passage. Um, so last week I focused on what it means for us as, as God's image bearers to have dominion right, over creation, the, the implications of it for our work, for our purpose within the world. But we, we pretty much kind of skipped over verse 27 um, as we looked at that passage. But verse 27 is crucial 
to understanding all that is going on in verse 28 and really the rest of Genesis. Because not only is image connected to having dominion, but so also being created male and female is connected to the imperative to fill the earth. Right? So the verse says this. It says, so God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And last week we talked about the idea uh, that all are created in God's image. Right? And the words that are used here are really important. Though it says man was created in the image of God, it means mankind. Right? All humans are created in God's image. Right? They have dignity and they have value and they serve as God's representatives of the world. That's what we talked about last week. And as an aspect of what it means to be created in God's image, he created us male and female. So wait, so is this saying that we're not individually created in God's image? Uh, no, it's not saying that because each individual human being is created in God's image. But this is saying that there's an aspect of imaging God that is only possible in the relationship of male and female together. Right? Because it is only in our relationship together that we can image God in the creating of life. Right? It is our male and female bodies together that are able to create life. Right? In kind of to use the modern uh, uh, language, it is in our sexed bodies and our whole selves together in relationship to the complementary sexed body that we are able to create life. And spoiler alert, this is how babies are made. Right? Um, and so there, there are a couple of things that God is affirming here. Um, First, God is affirming the goodness of sex. Um, a, a friend of mine tells the story of when his parents were married and they first were pregnant with his older sister um, and how his dad was really excited to tell everyone um, that, that they were about to have a baby. And there, this, uh, this southern mom uh, you know, grew up in the church, sort of always had this idea that Kind of sex is bad, it's wrong. And so he's about to tell all their friends and family that they're pregnant. And she goes, they'll know what we did. Don't tell them, right? Don't tell them because they'll know that we had sex is essentially what she is, is saying here. And I love that story because it so captures the stereotypical American Christian view of sex. That somehow, even within its totally biblical framework, sex is wrong. Right? But the Bible is telling us that creating life is right and good. Everything up to the point that we have been reading in the scriptural passages is created good. Right? And following even in the next few verses, it's all good. It's something God calls good. And sex is something that is a gift of God for men and women. And we discover later in the Bible that it is a gift specifically for husbands and wives. Why? Well, because it is a physical sign of a covenantal promise that a man and a woman are to make to one another. Right? And so kind of side note, it is not that sex outside of the bounds of marriage is this forever stain like a, like a scarlet letter upon you. Uh, as has been maybe indicated some with some of the purity culture of the last 30 uh, years or so. But 
Sex outside of covenantal promise is a half-truth at best because your body is making a promise that you have not made yet to that other person, right? And as we do those sorts of things, we diminish our promises. We diminish uh, the things that God has for us that are right and good. But that's another sermon for another time. Right? My point here is that in our passage, God is clearly and authoritatively affirming the goodness of sex. Secondly, and specifically, God is affirming the goodness of sex because it leads to procreation. Um, right? So while sex itself is a gift, it should also be seen as a gift for procreation. And there are two extremes that I want to avoid here, because I think the passage here avoids both of those extremes. First, this passage is not saying that, you know, all sex must be only for the purpose of procreation. That is not, that is not saying that we should, you know, try to have as many children as we possibly can, right, to, you know, sort of uh, have a quiver full, if y'all are familiar with that um, kind of Christian circle language. Um, There has always been an aspect of God-given wisdom in understanding exactly what it means when he commands us to fill the earth and subdue it. It is not outside the bounds of Scripture to consider contraceptives. Um, And so we can talk more about that. uh, Again, that's like another sermon for another time, but just sort of want to throw that out there. Um, That's one extreme that we want to avoid. The second extreme I want to avoid and our passage avoid is, is, is an idea that our culture seems to be more and more okay with recently, and that is that procreation itself is bad. Right? That somehow having children is terrible because of how it you know, contributes to global warming or um, how, how so many kids without families uh, there already are that are just waiting to be adopted or that it's terrible simply because like we all come from messed up families and we're all just sort of contributing to more and more traumatic sin patterns or, or, or whatever that they're going on within uh, intergenerational um, struggles, so to speak. And this passage and so much of our scripture affirms that having children is in fact a blessing. All right, so if you view your life as being a life that will be better without children, no matter what, this passage is telling us that procreation is a blessing. And if you view having children as a moral evil, um, as has become sort of a popular view recently, this passage is telling us that procreation is a blessing. And I'm going to slow down for a second and make sure that I say this out loud. I, I know that not every family that wants children is able to have them. I also know that some families choose not to have children for a variety of wise reasons. Um, and I, in no way am I trying to cast any sense of shame upon any uh, who are struggling in those ways. Um, what is wrong, though, according to this passage, is the belief that simply having children, right, and like the more the better, has conferred some sort of special extra righteousness and blessing upon you, or the other extreme, that you are therefore on the moral high ground because you have not had children. This passage is saying and speaking to both. Mm -hmm. It's important that all of us, parents or otherwise, recognize that having children is a gift from God for all mankind. Reproduction is a part of what this passage means when it affirms that we are created male and female. 
And so, with that said, now let's take a moment to talk about um, what it means that we are created in these sexed bodies and what that means for our current gender discussion um, in our culture. So that's our our second point, which is sort of the gender uh, of this passage. Um, Before I go too far into what this passage is teaching us about um, sex and gender, I want to acknowledge that our relationship uh, to sex and gender uh, is on this side of the fall. And so what is being spoken of here in Genesis 1 is the way it was intended to be. And we encounter this on on a different side of the fall where sin and brokenness has entered the world. And that means we experience our broken bodies or identity struggles, or we encounter the broken bodies of others. And a lot of times we simply can't make sense of any of it, right? One of the reasons why we included our New Testament passage is actually to speak to that very fact of what does it look like to encounter it on that side of the fall. Um, And so our New Testament passage that we read is a story of Jesus being challenged by some of the Pharisees and the scribes, right? And they're trying to to trick him regarding the law of divorce. And they want to know if Jesus truly knows and loves the scriptures, Right, and after Jesus answers their questions regarding the issues of divorce, right, um, right, that the divorce was given to mankind because of the hardness of our heart, meaning that because we're selfish and hard-hearted people, it can be really hard to be married to other selfish and hard-hearted people, and therefore divorce was given unto man for that reason. And so it's in light of that that the disciples turn to Jesus and they're like, okay, I hear what you're saying, Jesus. So it sounds like it's just better not to get married, right? And Jesus is like, okay, you weren't really listening here, Uh, right? That's not exactly my point, right? He responds by saying not everyone can do that. Not everyone can be not married. And he says then, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Right? And so this verse here is recognizing that though the created order before the fall says that there are males and females, here he is saying that after the fall, there are some eunuchs who have been eunuchs since birth. Right? In other words, he is recognizing that there are what we would call now intersexed people. Right? People who don't fit the category of male and female. And it struggles, uh, the, the struggles are therefore in marriage and in uh, reproduction, which is often what the Bible refers to when they refer to eunuchs in general. It's just more of a catch-all term. In essence, there are people who do not fit the sexed categories of male or female. And so, as we talk about the way God intended life and reproductive biology to work, recognizing that we are created to be male and female, we also need to recognize that in light of the fall, for many, right, this binary system of male and female is an immense challenge for themselves to identify with. Right? Some people are born with sexual anomalies. Others are born with such discomfort that they wish they were a whole other person. Right? And if any of that jives with your experience, we are so glad that you're here. 
you are welcome here because I cannot imagine what you are going through. Um, and my heart breaks for you because you are no doubt exhausted with that internal war, with that war between your inner self and your body. But remember what comes in verse 26 of our passage in Genesis, right? No matter who you are and no matter what your struggle is, you are made in the image of God. And God has put his image upon you. And as one of our quotes reminds us together this morning, God don't make junk, right? Um, Though your struggle is unique to you, it is not entirely different from the rest of us. That's why I began with with the intro of the fact that we all struggle with our own bodies. For we are all at war with ourselves, uncomfortable in our own skin, all of us seeking the peace that only Jesus Christ can bring. And so in light of that fact, we live in a fallen world. And so what does Genesis 1 teach us about our gendered selves? That is that we are created wholes. We are a whole people with bodies, souls, and minds that are combined in this incredible union. This passage is telling us that there is something distinct about what God has done in mankind. He's created us with two sexes. He's created us male and female, and both individually as we come together, we image him. That means he has given us distinction in our physical makeup, in our sex organs, and in our hormones. And that our, a part of our identity is, is based upon who we are created in our wholeness. And in our wholeness, the Bible affirms a binary and are created the way it was intended to be, that there is a male and there is a female. It does so because it takes the identity of our bodies seriously. We cannot discount the ways that we were physically created. Because our physical selves, though we often hate parts about us, are created good. Now I want to spend a few moments um, talking about what this is saying and what this is not saying. Uh, right? There's been a tendency, particularly given the amount of kind of cultural confusion there is around the, the discussion points of gender, um, partic- for the Christian culture to sort of make this passage say too much. Right? Um, Right, sort of placing unbiblical uh, cultural norms upon this passage right, to make it say more than the law of God or the word of God would. Right, so many of these cultural norms are based on a, a post-industrial way of viewing the family unit or viewing male and female, right, where divided labor uh, is even more extreme or, or divided than it used to be. Right? So women stay at home and tend to the home, right? and men go into the workplace. Right? That's one of the ways in which people have viewed uh, and placed an unbiblical norm upon this passage. Right? If we were impoverished farmers in the middle of nowhere, that type of division of labor would not exist. Right? Everyone would be doing whatever was required for the sake of survival, men and women all together. So another example would be like men are supposed to like football and women are supposed to like dancing or knitting, you know, I don't know, whatever it might be. Um, These cultural norms are nothing more than culturally dictated, right? And they have nothing to do with sex or gender. They're merely a part of our likes 
or our abilities. Um, and those are different for every single one of us. If, if that was like written into this passage, then my wife and I would, would not be uh, obedient as I'm the one who's probably uh, a, a little bit, um, you know, more of the decorator of the family. Uh, or as she likes to say, I'm the sensitive one. Um, right? Uh, so these things are culturally dictated. But we, and we cannot allow for this passage to say things that it does not say and demand that of other people. We should speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. But in our passage today, the Bible does affirm that our identity as male and female is connected to our bodies. That we are created male and female. That we were created individually and communally to bear God's image in the world. And that part of what it means to bear his image is to create life as he creates life. But in light of the fall, we all experience brokenness with ourselves, with our bodies. And so it's, it's into that reality that I want to conclude with just a reminder of the good news for all of us. As I mentioned at the very beginning of our passage, because of the fall, we have a broken relationship with God, with creation, and with ourselves. And it is into that that Jesus Christ's redemption comes. We focus a lot of times on the fact that Jesus has come to repair our relationship with God, and he absolutely does so. But we forget the ways in which he is bringing complete peace, peace for our relationship with the rest of creation, and peace for our relationship with ourselves. And we may not know that right now. We may not experience that in its fullness right now, but his promise is yes and amen that it will be true for us at some point someday. Right? And so no matter who you are and what your struggle is, we are all struggling together. And Jesus Christ, by virtue of his coming, his death and his resurrection and his coming again, is bringing that peace for you a little bit now and an immense glory, all of it, for you and for me. That is what he has come to do. And so may that give you some encouragement. Though we live on this side of the fall, we also live on this side of what Jesus has done. And we are waiting for him to come and bring it in fullness. May we wait for it with patience, knowing that our struggle is real now, but Jesus knows hears our struggle, and is with us as we follow him. May we place our faith and our trust in him. Would you all pray with me unto that end? Our God and Father, we thank you that you hear us in our struggles, that you know our sin and our struggle, and yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that while we were estranged from you, you have brought us uh, to to peace with you. And Father, may we know that peace not only with you, may we know it with with ourselves, may we know it with each other. We pray that that would be true by the power of your Holy Spirit. Be at work within us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.